Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. What's up, Packer fans? Welcome into the Pack a Day podcast. I'm your host Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Of course, you can follow the podcast at Pack a Day Podcast. Great show lined up for you today. I want to start where else than by talking about the Aaron Rodgers. Mark Murphy situation. Uh, Aaron Nagler just complimented me on Twitter yesterday for doing Cole Van Landen topics and not discussing Mark Murphy while everyone else was, uh, you know, breaking down and discussing everything. Well, I'm sorry, Aaron, but it does seem to be a little bit of a pressing topic. So I do need to weigh in a little bit. It's not going to be the entire discussion today, but I do want to touch base on it because I think it's noteworthy. I think it's definitely something that we need to discuss and go over because I don't get it. All right. What what are we possibly doing here? Now, for those who are unaware, uh, it was quoted that Mark Murphy in a, a gathering uh, said that Aaron Rodgers was, quote, a complicated fella. And on the surface, it sounds so stupid and so ridiculous, right? Like who in the heck possibly cares if somebody called somebody a cop? Like this is what this situation has degraded down into that we are discussing Mark Murphy calling Aaron Rodgers a complicated fellow. What, what, what? <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. A complicated fella? Are we in the 50s, first of all? A co- and I know he was quoting, like using a, a term that Ted Thompson used in the past. I understand that. But what are what is possibly to gain here by going up on a stage and talking about Aaron Rodgers and talking about him as a quote complicated fella, I, I don't get that. What what does that possibly accomplish? And the the number one thing I want to say here is well, one is he a complicated fella? Probably. Aaron Rodgers is a very complex individual. That I, I think that would be a better way to term it. Aaron Rodgers is a very complex individual. And I think if you say that, and I think that's what he was ultimately trying to mean. First of all, don't say anything. But if you do, you know, if you say, yeah, he's very complex and this is a complex situation, cool. No, no, no other words needed. You're right. That's, that's not, a, a, you know, anything that could be taken as a slight, but complicated definitely can be. If, if somebody's calling, saying that I'm a complicated person, I could take umbrage with that. I, who knows if I would or not, but I could understand being a little bit upset with that. But if he is, in fact, a quote, complicated fella, and you are in a very complicated situation, the last thing that I would do is call him a complicated fella publicly. That doesn't seem like it would possibly be a good idea when you're already in a bad spot. And just last week, just last week, you are saying, or in, in your Q&A during this past week, you're saying the less things that can be said public, publicly from either side in this situation, the better. That it doesn't make sense for either side to make any, compl- compl- <laughs> and make any comments publicly. 
so why why are you possibly making any sort of statement, ruffling any sort of waters in any way, shape, or form? Again, things are already in a bad spot. And I don't get what you have to gain in this situation. You're certainly not helping your situation with Aaron Rodgers. You're certainly not helping Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst in this situation. They've got to be just thinking like, what what are you doing? Like, just don't say anything. This isn't co- this isn't complicated. You are running a franchise. Your franchise is doing everything that you can to get Aaron Rodgers back in the door. And you're making any sort of statement whatsoever that could be taken or misconstrued in a variety of different ways. Do I ultimately think that this is going to affect the entirety of the situation? No. Whatever Aaron Rodgers was thinking before, whether it was going to be resolvable or not, this doesn't change that, right? This isn't an egregious enough error where Rogers is going to be like, well, I was kind of weighing things, but now he called me, you know, a, a complicated fella. I am out of there. I don't think that, but why even go that route? It, there's literally, literally nothing to gain from this situation. Now, again, I, again, I just said, and I, I want to reiterate it here. I don't think that this ultimately changes that much. In the scheme of things, Rogers isn't going to come back because he was called a complicated fella, but it seems insanely tone deaf to say anything remotely like this when your franchise is trying everything in their power to get Aaron Rodgers back in the building. And I've I've been on record in the past of saying there are a million shades of gray here, right? This is a, a complex situation. I am sure there are things that Aaron Rodgers has done incorrectly. I am sure there are things that the Green Bay Packers have done incorrectly. I'm sure there have been breakdowns on communications from both sides. I'm sure ultimately one side is more to blame than the other. And I'm sure as more details and facts come out that we will probably maybe have a better idea of where to ultimately place some of that blame. And I'm not absolving anyone in this situation. I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers is without blame. I'm not saying Brian Gutekunst, Russ Ball, you know, any Matt LaFleur. I'm not absolving anyone at this point, just because again, we don't know enough about the situation. However, I do tend to lean in the direction that ultimately, when all is said and done, when you are the president of the organization, it is your responsibility to make sure that these things don't happen, especially, especially when you've been through a very similar situation in the past and should know how to deal with complicated situations like this. So I've gone through this before and said, listen, I understand Aaron Rodgers may be a complex individual and he may have complex feelings as to how the organization should be run, of how he should be treated as a star quarterback, as how he should be treated as a star in the NFL and sports in general, and how the players on the team should be treated. That is that is a fair thing to want when you are in Aaron Rodgers' position. I can see that side of things. If you're Brian Gutekunst, I can see how you have been trained, again, and I've mentioned this before, from Ron Wolf to Ted Thompson to yourself, that you don't focus on the here and now or on one individual player. You look down the road. What is the best way to make the Packers the best team possible three, five, eight, ten 10 years from now? Not just this year, not just in 2021, not just for this upcoming season. You have to have a long-term approach. That has to be the general manager's approach to things. If you're Russ Ball, his job is to crunch the numbers and say, here are some things we can do. Here are some things we should not do. He has a, a a prerogative and a viewpoint on this based on what his job is in the organization. Matt LaFleur wants to say, hey, I want the best team possible to go out and coach this team. 
And, you know, he may have some players that he wants to say goodbye to. He may want different players that he wants in there. He may, you know, have different ways that he wants to run the organization than Aaron Rodgers or Brian Gutekunst or um, Russ Ball, etc. They all have their own individual viewpoints and they all have their own individual jobs to do, whether that's Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, Brian Gutekunst, Russ Ball. And all of them, in my opinion, are upholding their part of their job duties. Rodgers is the captain of the team, one of the foremost players in the NFL when it comes to fighting for players, when he, you know, trying to have support for the players that are in that locker room. He is on the leadership committee. He is a star. He is in, he's literally the MVP of the league. And if he wants to move a situation forward or try to bring light to a situation, that's what he's going to do. Matt LaFleur has his own agenda. Brian Gutekunst is trying to build a team for both now and in the future. He's That's his prerogative. Russ Ball is trying to crunch the numbers and figure out how he can make all of this work. But at the end of the day, while all of those have siloed individualistic goals to try to make sure that they're doing their individual jobs, it is the president's responsibility in this situation to make sure that all of those goals come together for a common cause and make sure the Packers are the best versions of themselves, both now and in the future. That's his job. And in my opinion, with how, with how these quotes keep coming out of his mouth and how this overall situation has been handled, I tend to lean that I don't harbor as much animosity for Aaron Rodgers. I don't harbor any animosity at this point for Brian Gutekunst. I know there's somebody that comments every single day down in the comments, fire Gutekunst. I definitely don't agree with that. I don't harbor anything for Matt LaFleur. I think he's done a tremendous job. I think Russ Ball has been insanely creative in putting together contracts and situations that could make this Packers team work both now and in the future. Who does that leave? That, in my opinion, leaves Mark Murphy. His ultimate stamp on how this works out will be a, uh, maybe large part is harsh, but it will be a, a part, a significant part, a noteworthy part in his legacy as president of the Green Bay Packers. And I want to be upfront here and say that I have been for a long time of the belief that he has taken far too much criticism for how he's been, you know, overseeing this team. This has been a very successful franchise since he has started, started you know, as president. This team has won a Super Bowl. They've consistently been relevant. They have completely redone the Title Town District. They have stayed financially in, in good standing throughout a pandemic, throughout a variety of different things. They've they've done a million things right. I mean, hiring, you know, in my opinion, both Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur, Mark Murphy deserves a ton of credit for that. But there are times where he just says things or puts his foot in his mouth, or specifically with this Rogers situation that it, it, it's tough to overlook some of that stuff. And we are far from knowing the ultimate conclusion to this story. And maybe Rodgers comes back and maybe they win a Super Bowl and maybe Rodgers walks off into the sunset and maybe they transition to Jordan Love and he becomes the next great quarterback and all of that will be under Mark Murphy's purview and it all work out amazing. Maybe it doesn't, but either way, there are some serious question marks to be asked of how Mark Murphy has handled this situation. It takes the most utmost of care to kind of get through this and tightrope this. From the moment they drafted Jordan Love, by the way, it took the, the utmost amount 
of, of care. And to me, how he has handled now in three different occasions, how he talked about it before we heard about Rogers, how he talked about it, um, in a, in a Q and a, how he, you know, talked about, um, in this situation, a complicated fella, and even, you know, bringing up that this is divided, you know, Packers nation to almost, you know, making it seem like, even though I full belief, he didn't mean this, but making it seem like Rogers was dividing Packer fans when it was, I believe he meant the situation, but again, any kind of, it just takes the utmost of care. And I don't think he has done a great job of handling this entire situation with the utmost of care. I think that's a vast understatement. In fact, and it's getting to the point where every time that Mark Murphy is doing one of these Q and A's, or there's, you know, he's at a function, or he's got an open mic, it, you like you're reading his transcript, like you would read your drunk texts from the night before, just being like, oh, just please not let there not be anything regrettable. Just like scrolling through, like please nothing regrettable, please nothing like that's what it's like right now, and you just want it to be, you know okay. You just don't, you just don't want anything. Like just not, don't say anything right now. Like that should be your operating procedure. This is, this is the Giannis Atetokounmpo version of not taking three pointers right now. Giannis, no threes, Mark Murphy, no comments. That's where we're at at this very moment. And that's where it needs to be. So again, I've, I've been overall more pro Mark Murphy and how he's handled the entire franchise over the course of the last decade plus. But this is, you know, frustrating, I think is the right word for it. And it just takes more care. And I don't think he's handled that with the utmost amount of care. All right. The other quote I wanted to get to, and that is the Adam Schefter quote. Um, and that, this is from a few days ago. And he said, they know, and he's talking about the Packers. They know, this is a quote, they know that if he's not back, that they will be one of the worst teams in football, end quote. So he's talking about the Green Bay Packers here. Again, they know that if he's not back, meaning Aaron Rodgers, that they will be one of the worst teams in football. Now, this is super interesting again, because I feel like Adam Schefter has always been like the Switzerland of, you know, sports reporters, right? He, no, not a good guy, not a bad guy, just like Switzerland in the middle, just reporting news, like not no main agendas, not, you know, pandering to any sort of audience. But with this Packers stuff, it's, it's almost like he's WWE heel style, like Mike Flory going full Mike Flory, excuse me, going full Mike Florio on the situation. And, uh, and trying to figure out how he can get people riled up, which is so anti-Adam Schefter. So I don't know. It just seems really, really weird because first of all, Adam, as amazing of a reporter as you are, the, the first of all, the terms of your initial breaking of this story were interesting at best. And I sided mostly with Schefter the previous time before that. But to go in and say the Packers are going to be one of the worst teams in football, listen, this could go bad for Green Bay, all right? It really could. And especially if, if something happens with Rodgers and he's not back and, you know, and there's this undercurrent of the, all the drama this offseason and maybe Love's not quite ready, but they make him the starter. Yes, I think this team could be maybe in like a 7-10 and 10 sort of role, right? I think, that's, I think that's more likely around what it is. Maybe it's a little bit worse than that, but I think that's what it is. But this is a team that has a phenomenal head coach that has talent at every single position, young talent at almost every single position on this roster. It has players who are ready to take the next step. It has bona fide studs in 
Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. Tunyon's coming along. David Bakhtiari will be back. Elton Jenkins. You've got, you know, A.J. Dillon up and coming on defense. Rashawn Gary's ready to turn a corner. Sedarius Smith, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark. At corner, you've got Jair Alexander. First round pick, Eric Stokes. You've got Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage. Like, this is not a team that is lacking in talent. And we have seen Mitch Trubisky led Chicago Bears in the playoffs. We have seen Blake Bortles led Jacksonville Jaguars in the AFC Championship, almost beating, should have beat the New England Patriots with Tom Brady at quarterback. Like, there are far worse teams who have made far deeper runs into the playoffs than this Packers team would be with either Blake Bortles or Jordan Love. I'm not saying it's ideal. I'm not saying it will happen. But people are way underestimating the overall talent on this Packers team. So yes, I do believe that there could be some complications with this season based on everything that's happened, whether Rodgers is back or not. I think that, you know, everything has to work perfectly together for you to make a Super Bowl run and be sort of that Cinderella team. This certainly doesn't feel like how a Cinderella season starts, right? There is enough drama in Green Bay to fill up a handful of seasons worth. And to be fair, Green Bay has had almost none since Matt LaFleur started. No adversity, no drama for two seasons straight. They had to manufacture stuff by saying that there wasn't, you know, Rodgers couldn't call audibles, which wasn't true, or that Rodgers and Matt LaFleur weren't going to get along, which wasn't true. Now there's drama. Now there's, you know, adversity. And it'll be interesting to see how everything happens. But Adam Schefter, there is zero chance that this is one of the worst teams in football. Like worst teams are like two, you know, two win, three win teams. No matter what happens, I will guarantee you the Packers are not a two, three, four win team. Maybe it goes bad. Maybe they win five or six games only, but they're not going to be one of the worst teams in my opinion. You might say, well, Andy, if they win five or six games, it's basically one of the worst teams, whatever. Maybe it's semantics, but in my opinion, this is not going to be a team that's drafting in the top five next year, regardless of what happens. It will not be a bottom five team in the NFL, which would, in my opinion, be one of the worst teams in the NFL. Don't think they'll even be a bottom eight team in the NFL, regardless of what happens. And I think Green Bay will be competitive regardless of what happens. And I don't think the NFC North is that great. I'm not scared of the Vikings, Bears, Lions, even if it's Jordan Love at quarterback. Bring them the heck on. I'm ready to see Green Bay take on those teams and try to win a division, even with Jordan Love, even with Blake Bortles, even with Kirk Benkert, even with, it doesn't even matter. Like I, they are going to go out and compete. I really believe that. So yeah. And I know, you know, Aaron Nagler did a, a really good video um, about this and, and saying that, listen, you know, you have to take the comments with a grain of salt because Adam Schefter is, you know, probably speaking on behalf of David Dunn, who is Aaron Rodgers' agent, which makes sense. And I, I don't disagree with that. But the weird thing is, is that David Dunn is Jordan Love's agent too. Like if, if David Dunn wants it out there that this team's going to be the worst team ever because, you know, Jordan Love's going to be the quarterback. Well, that's not exactly complimentary of your other you know, uh, client and, and Jordan Love. So the whole thing is so weird and it's so hyperbolic and it's so, to me, unlike Adam Schefter, there's a million things that could happen, but I don't believe that Green Bay is going to be one of the quote, worst teams in football. By the way, their Twitter, you know, got it wrong and spelled worst, W-O-R-S-E, not W-O-R-S-T. So just get your stuff together, ESPN. I wanted to talk a little bit about this defense and Joe Barry and how they looked at OTAs and minicamp because, it's one of the kind of forgotten storylines this offseason, it feels like, 
with all the Aaron Rodgers conversation, with everyone keeping eyes on Jordan Love during mini camps and OTAs, um, with everyone wanting to get a glance at the rookies. And I know some people have been kind of talking about the star position, but overall, this this new defense, this new defensive coordinator has sort of flown under the radar. So I want to take some time to just kind of go over my observations on Joe Barry so far and kind of go over how this defense has looked at these practices. So first of all, the biggest thing that has stood out to me with Joe Barry is his hands-on approach. Uh, he feels much more engaged, involved, hands-on than what Mike Patton did. That's not a shot at Mike Patton. It's just a difference in philosophy, right? So Uh, You can see him kind of walking through the field, hands-on players, like kind of, you know, getting up there, showing them how to do things. A lot of, you know, pats on the butt for a good job, like just very involved in everything. He's moving all around. He's talking to all different players on defense, kind of going through some philosophical approaches, walking them through how to do things. Just a very hands-on coach. And I think it was in, in a way uh, just a welcome change. You could see that he was getting involved in more in the day to day, more in the minutiae, and you could see the players reacting to that coaching. He's making contact with each individual players, which I'm sure helps him gain buy in with each of those players with how he wants to run his defense. Yeah, at the same token, he has no issue getting in your face if you're doing something wrong. I mentioned this story earlier in the offseason at rookie minicamp where a defensive lineman, they were going through a drill and they were trying to you know, just go through the offensive lineman and get to the quarterback and make a play on the quarterback. There wasn't actually a quarterback there, but the coach who was playing quarterback in that situation. And your goal is to get through the offensive lineman, finish, and I think strip the ball out or at least get hands on the quarterback. And this defensive line, I, for, I honestly forget which one it was, but defensive lineman gets through the line of scrimmage and you know had struggled to get through the offensive lineman. The offensive lineman easily run the rep, won the rep. And while he was going back, you know, he just kind of started heading back rather than finishing things out. And Barry got after him immediately, you know, coaching him on being in good habits and getting his hands on the quarterback no matter what, and you know, got after him immediately. It was um you know, it was a stark difference than obviously his normal demeanor, just kind of easygoing and, you know, complimenting everybody. But that's an important trait to have. It was something when Matt LaFleur came in where I wanted to see, because he, he, he always felt like a little bit more of a player's coach, right? But it is such an insanely fine line between being a player's coach and getting after a player when you really need to get after them because they didn't do something that you were supposed to, or getting after the team when they didn't do something that they were supposed to. And if you don't do both of those things, you can end up in a very poor position. If you're, you know, if you're just constantly getting after players but not offering praise and not being a little bit more of a player's coach, you can have problems. If you're too much of a player's coach, then players will walk all over you and there's no, you know, really captain, you know, rearing the ship, if you will. So or steering the ship. So in my opinion, Matt LaFleur has done a masterful job of that. And I've really liked what I've seen out of Joe Barry as well, where again, he's walking that line of kind of being a player's coach, hands-on, hey, I'm your buddy. But hey, if you don't do what you're supposed to, I will get in your face and I will tell you about it in front of everyone. And overall, I've liked how he's handled things and I've liked how his coaching approach has been, especially if you're a rookie defensive lineman, you want to know what you did wrong and you don't mind some harsh coaching. So you're making sure you do it right the next time. So again, he's somebody that's going to smile and tell you, you you know, you're doing a good job more often than not. But if you're not, he's going to rip you a new one. And again, I think that's overall a, a solid approach. And I like how he's handled things so far. 
He's also been incredibly genuine with the media, both in person as well as in press conferences. You know, even just he came to the sideline the other day. I think he was just getting some tape to wrap something. I don't even know what he was getting, but just, you know, very casual with the media on the sideline saying, hey, how are you doing? Like, it, it's noticeable. Does this matter? Does this matter for how he's going to coach the defense or if they're going to be a top 10 defense or anything like that? No, it doesn't matter. But it, it, at the same token, you you start cheering for that type of player, that type of coach that you know kind of cares how everyone's doing. And he just genuinely seems like a nice guy out there on the field again until you screw something up in which he'll get in your face and he'll tell you about it. I like that as a coach. So I've liked his approach so far. As far as, more importantly, how the defense is looked out on the field, I, I feel like you can see more communication with the players. I feel like players are communicating a little bit more on the field, and I think that's obviously a really good sign. Um, I wasn't at as many practices during this time period last year, so it could be that the, the, there was just as much communication. and I certainly just didn't see it, but I could see a concerted effort by this defense to be extra communicative to make sure that they're consistently on the same page. I've overall, from a defensive standpoint, it looks very similar in nature. A lot of zone defense, a lot of bend but don't break, playing kind of an umbrella style of defense, making sure that you're not able to get deep plays down the field. You're keeping everything in front of you. You have the opportunity to get your hands on the ball. You're trying to make the quarterback check the ball down and you're making them go the length of the field. You've seen a lot of that with Mike Patton last year. You've seen a lot of it so far on defense with the Green Bay Packers. You've seen players line up primarily in a lot of the same spots that they lined up under Mike Patton. You don't see, you know, we're not talking today about, oh, this person's lined up in a completely different position than they've ever played before. We just haven't seen any of that. Shannon Sullivan's in the slot. Jair's outside. Kevin King's outside. Josh Jackson is outside. Eric Stokes is outside. You know, Savage is at safety. Amos is at safety with a caveat that I'll get to in a moment. Will Redmond's at safety. Chris Barnes is that linebacker. You know, Ty Summers is that linebacker on the inside. You see some Kamal Martin there. All the defensive linemen are up front. The edge rushers are on the edge. Like, it looks like a normal nickel style defense, a lot very similar to what Mike Patton was running for the most part a season ago. Um, so I think in a way, and Aaron Nagler and I talked about this um, on Let's Talk Packers for Cheesehead TV this past week, I think in a way that's going to make it easier for this defense to transition from Mike Patton to Joe Barry in year one, which sometimes can be a little bit challenging because remember, all the rest of the coaching staff on defense is primarily the same. So they've got a lot of the same coaches, almost entirely the same personnel, save for what, like, you know, Devondre Campbell instead of Christian Kirksey. Um, Eric Stokes will get some playing time, I'm sure. Maybe Shamar Jean Charles, maybe uh, TJ Slayton. But for the most part, this defense is almost an apples to apples carbon copy from a coaching staff and from a personnel standpoint of what they were a season ago, except for Joe Barry. So I think they're going to be able to carry some things over. I think it's almost similar to what we saw in the first year of Matt LaFleur, right? Where they were running some concepts from Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers that they still felt comfortable with while also integrating Matt LaFleur's style and system. I think you can see a lot of the same with Joe Barry this year where they still have this, a lot of the same players and a lot of the same concepts. And maybe they're going to carry over a little bit of that Mike Patton stuff. But at the same time, you're going to see an infusion of what Joe Barry wants to do as well. And we all talked about, myself included, how Jordan Love was checking the ball down a ton at his first few practices, and it looked a little bit disjointed. And practices against each other is always a little bit disjointed, right? Because on the one hand, you're, you want to see Jordan you know, Love rip the ball downfield and you know, do something awesome. 
But you, in this situation, you get to celebrate the defense at the same time. And I don't feel like we did that. Now, if Jordan Love's ripping the defense apart and you're like, oh, great, Jordan Love looks great. But now it's like, all right, is the defense not looking so great? So there's always like a, a give and take here in these situations. But with Jordan Love and how he was checking things down in those first handful of practices, at the same time, we need to recognize what the defense was doing. Like they were forcing the ball to be checked down on a lot of those situations. I'm sure, listen, I know Jordan Love is young, right? But I'm sure if he goes to his first read or his second read on a play and they're open, it's not like he's just going to sit with the ball and twiddle his thumbs, right? He's he's smart. He's a quarterback, right? You, you see somebody open, you throw the dang ball. So give credit to this Joe Barry defense for how they've looked. And Matt LaFleur mentioned as well, usually in non-padded practices. And at this point of the season, the defense is a little bit ahead of the offense. But this offense, for the most part, is players who have all been here and know the Matt LaFleur system. The defense have players that have been here, but are still learning a new system. So the fact that they've been able to kind of do what this defense is set to do, force all those checkdowns, that's got to be a good sign for the defense, whether it's Jordan Love or Blake Bortles, Kirk Benkert, Aaron Rodgers, it doesn't matter. If your defense is getting checkdowns, they're doing their job for the most part. So tip your cap and, and say that, hey, while it may be a little bit of a struggle for Jordan Love, it's also complimentary of what the Packers are trying to accomplish on defense. And again, I think overall, we saw a lot of zone defense, a lot of everything, you know, players playing back, eyes on the football, trying to keep everything in front of them, which is exactly what we expected. It seems to be coming along very well. And I think the other note that I wanted to make here is it seems like Adrian Amos is going to be a player that they could move around some and could make all of this work. Whether he's playing at safety, we saw him some at the nickel linebacker position, we saw him some in the slot. It seems like Amos is a player that Joe Barry in this defense has identified as is maybe taking on a little bit of a bigger role. So that's going to be a player that I'm really keeping my eye on in training camp. And Adrian Amos just could be the player that kind of brings this defense all together, at least in this first year under Joe Barry. So really excited. I, I think Amos is a tremendous football player, and I think he can do anything that you ask of him on defense. So I, I'm really excited to see how that comes to fruition. And I really like him in that nickel linebacker spot, if that's what they decide to go with. Now, if that means more Will Redmond at safety, we're going to have to maybe have a conversation. We'll see how Redmond can kind of hold up there. But overall, it definitely seems like they have a pretty big role for Adrian Amos in mind as this defense transitions forward under Joe Barry. All right, last but not least, wanted to get to my uh, MVS discussion. And again, uh, this was a article on Cheesehead TV by Mark Oldacres, which is a fantastic last name, by the way. And he talked about a potential MVS extension and why it makes sense to do it now and maybe not wait until the season is over. Now, I think this is a really interesting discussion because first of all, the only way that I see this really working is if you talk to MVS and he's willing to take a discount now to maybe you know get a long-term deal, make sure he gets some money, make sure that if he has a bad season this year or gets injured, that he's still getting a pretty decent payday. If MVS is of that mindset, then I say, okay, you know, if you can get him on a three-year, you know, even $15 million deal, maybe that seems rich, but I think five mil per year is fairly fair for what, you know, um, or what he's done up until this point. You know, if, you, if they can get him on something like that or even cheaper and they make that deal or make that offer and he says, yeah, all right, I can definitely see that happening. But unless you can get him on the cheap, I don't think it makes sense for Green Bay to, to do this sort of, you know, to do this sort of move right now. You know, on the flip side, if I were MVS, I would more be willing to bet on myself and say, hey, I'm going to go and have a big season and make bank in the offseason next year. Listen, teams are always looking for deep threats. Look at what Will Fuller got just this offseason. $10.5 million on a one-year deal for Will Fuller. $10.5 million 
on a one-year deal. Like that is big time. If MVS can show that he is a consistent deep threat and have a similar season to what Will Fuller had a season ago, maybe he doesn't get 10.5, but he'll get a payday. And he's still young. He's still super talented. So if he goes out as a monster year, he will get very much paid. So in a way, and if you kind of look at it this way too, Green Bay doesn't have a ton of like salary cap flexibility, both now or next year either. So to give him a bigger contract now really hurts you this season with how they're trying to kind of put together this roster this season. It really hurts you next season as you're trying to figure out that as well. So it, it's just really tough to put a value on MVS that makes sense really for either side right now. Because again, if I'm MVS, I'm betting on myself. If I'm the Packers, any sort of deal that I try to do probably doesn't make a ton of sense. So in a way, I almost view this as a same situation as Kevin King was in a season ago as he was going into the last year of his deal. Obviously, Kevin King had a lot of inconsistencies, showed upside, showed promise, also had some frustrating moments. This was prior to last season. And you wondered how 2020 would work out and how we could possibly come back. And how I always viewed Kevin King in 2020 is that, listen, if he played amazing in, in 2020 and Kevin King had an all-time year and looked fantastic, there's no way Green Bay would have been able to afford him. So he would have played himself out of Green Bay and some team would have given him number one corner money and paid him a huge deal. If he was awful a season ago, played the season and was completely just terrible, then Green Bay says, we're not interested anymore. We're going to go in a different direction. The only way that Kevin King comes back is if he has a middling sort of season, shows those same ups that he always had, shows those same downs that he always had, misses some time with injury. And there's not a huge demand on him for the market. And you probably have more value for him in Green Bay because he knows your system than any other team does. And while I think they overpaid him, that's exactly what ended up happening. They viewed him higher than teams around the NFL did. They He knows the system. He's a good locker room guy. You know, all of those things. So they bring him back and say, hey, we'll give you a one-year deal. And we'll see if you can kind of finally have that breakout season. And that's what happened with Kevin King. And I think with MVS, he's in the same situation that Kevin King was a season ago. If he goes out and he has a superstar sort of year and has his final, he finally has his breakout season, Green Bay's can't, not going to be able to afford him unless they let Devonta Adams walk. I guess that, who knows anymore. Um, but unless they let Adams walk, I, I, I can't imagine that they would afford him and make him number one wide receiver and pay him number one wide receiver money. If he has a terrible season and continues to show, you know, and all of a sudden the drops and all those sort of stuff, you know, are more prevalent than even they were a season ago and he's not making the big plays and it just seems like, all right, he's never going to get it. Then Green Bay probably says, I'm sorry, we're, we're going to go in a different direction. Maybe very similarly to Kevin King. If he's just the same MVS as he's been the last few seasons, he's going to rip your heart out a few times. He's going to make some of the most spectacular plays a few times. You just don't ever know what you're going to get. He's the ultimate wild card on the team. And other teams say like, hey, we're not going to pay big money for that type of player. And, you know, he has more value in Green Bay than anywhere else. Maybe similarly to Kevin King, they find a one-year deal on a number that makes sense for both sides. But I think it makes it really difficult to come to a number right now with either MVS or the Packers to try to find a middle ground and make that deal work. And maybe if they sign him to a long-term deal, they could make, you know save a little bit money this season, but he's only making two mil this season, which I think is fair market value for MVS at his point in his career right now. And again, I just think it makes sense for both sides to play out the season and see where he's at, unless MBS is willing to take a massively discounted deal, which I, again, I wouldn't hope for him. And I don't think that that's the right move for him. So we'll see maybe as the season goes further along or as they get to the end of the season, um, it, it's a little bit more clear and they can make something work. But as of right now, I think it's really difficult to make it happen. And even if I were Green Bay, if I were choosing to prioritize a contract on offense right now, 
I would I would prioritize Robert Tunyon over MVS at the moment. That's not a slight to MVS. I think MVS should be in that conversation, but uh, I really think that Tunyon would be the one that I'd be prioritizing if I were Green Bay before he goes out and has a, potentially another great season and now his, his contract is exorbitant. So that would be the, the contract that I'd be looking at. That's going to do it for me today. Thank you as always for listening. I greatly appreciate it. You guys are absolutely amazing. I'll be right back here tomorrow, but until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.